welcome back to Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast about entrepreneurship-led economic development. This episode was recorded as part of the live 2022 EIC Catalyst Network discussion series with podcast host David Ponraj, founder and CEO of Economic Impact Catalyst. The conversation begins with introductions to our special guests, who are entrepreneurial support practitioners and national leaders in the field. We hope you enjoy this month's episode. So thank you all for uh, joining the call today. Uh, I'm so excited for the panelists that we have, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Uh, but we have a, an amazing uh, one hour for you today. So first, I have uh, Eneda Roman, who is the co-founder and board chair of the Latina Circle, and we know them as Amplify Latinx uh, out of Boston. So Eneda, if you want to introduce yourself. Thank you, David. Delighted to be here this morning. Uh, so again, like David said, uh, Eneda Roman, uh, originally from Puerto Rico, uh, but I've lived in Boston for a little over 20 years. I'm an attorney by trade, um, and my work, uh, my leadership work as an attorney, is what led me to the creation of uh, Amplify Latinx. Uh, we started as Latina Circle 10 years ago, and five years ago, we expanded to become Amplify, uh, not only to include executive leadership, but also um, you know, political leadership and uh, leadership across sectors, and of course, economic mobility for small business owners. And um, you know, I'll share more later, but that's, you know, that's a big, big picture summary of what we do. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, next, we have Laurie Supinski, who is the director uh, at Start Garden in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Hi, thank you, David, for inviting me here. Um, happy to share some of the story of Start Garden. So uh, we are located in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And um, as an organization, we're actually um, uh, celebrating our 10th year. So um, very excited about that. I've been with Start Garden for about six years. And we're, we're an organization that seeks to obviously help entrepreneurs. We have co, you know, a co-working space. Um, we do some early stage capital programming. But then a lot of our work is around thickening the networks of entrepreneurs um, with a focus on um, entrepreneurs of color. And as a community, about the time I joined the organization, Grand Rapids um, had the unfortunate um, notoriety of being cited as one of the worst places for African-Americans to open a business. And so um, we took that to heart and we decided we needed to dig in and change that perception. So that drives a lot of the work that we do now. Thank you. And uh, last we have Raquel Robinson who is the Director of Programming at the Lightship Foundation based out of Cincinnati, Ohio. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you, David, for having me today. Um, like David said, I am the Director of Programming for Lightship Foundation, headquartered in Cincinnati, Ohio. Lightship is an impact-driven organization that helps serve remarkable entrepreneurs. And when we say remarkable, we're saying underrepresented, underserved. But in terms of storytelling, we just want to change that narrative and the negative language around um, underrepresented because we definitely don't underestimate our founders. And so we think that we're remarkable. We help them grow, scale, and eventually exit their businesses through programming, resources, mentors, um, and just great workshops and, and things like this. And so happy to be here and, and learn more about all you all and your work that you're doing. All right. So Raquel, I'll stay with you and ask this question, but um, I'll ask all the panelists the same question. This is not a new topic. Uh, we talk about it on a daily basis uh, in our communities and forums like this, uh, but we felt that, that we needed to have this conversation again and keep this at the forefront. Can you tell us what do you see as bright spots, places where we still have blind spots where we don't know uh, what we're doing wrong, but based on what you see in your community, how are we doing? I think that um, in Cincinnati, you know, we're working. You always have more work to do, but I think we're getting there and we're understanding that it really isn't a lack of resources, more so a lack of resourcefulness. And so trying to connect with our corporate partners, our decision makers, our policymakers, I think that's where we're starting in Cincinnati. We understand that we can't do it alone. It has to be a community effort. And I think that we're just now as an ecosystem, like in terms of Startup Cincy, 
we're just now learning how to work together. Like you said, you were at Black Tech Week in July, and that was an amazing experience. You saw people from all over the city coming out, but it really was like a reset in terms of like the tempo of the ecosystem and just seeing all kinds of people together. And so I think working together, creating environments like this are super important. But I think that people really appreciated it because coming out of COVID, I think everybody got super spoiled in terms of like, we don't get a lot of FaceTime with everybody. And so I think us coming together and doing things like that um, is definitely making a difference, but it's a start. You know, we definitely have some ways to go. So I love Black Tech Week. And uh, I, uh, when I was there, you know, I loved how you could network outside the events. And that's where a lot of the stories were being told and about people from different parts of the city, even people flying in from different parts of the country uh, for the, for, you know, that conversation and making and normalizing uh, Blacks in tech, right. And, and kind of elevating and saying, yes, you know, you have Black founders as well, doing incredible work, like you said, you know, remarkable work in that space. Laurie, uh, Tell us about Grand Rapids. And you said, you know, you traditionally are uh, when you first started this, that there was a lot of uh, challenges. How are you doing today? And, you know, what are some bright spots that you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're doing better, but I still think we, we have a, a long way to go. Um, and, and that's not a bad thing because we are we are seeing, you know, we're, we're changing, we're, you know, changing the needle. So I think that's that's good. But as an organization, you know, Star Garden started out. Um, really kind of focusing on uh, tech and high-tech, high-growth. And 10 years ago, that meant that most of the people coming through Start Garden and the programs were white males. And um, there's nothing wrong with that, but there's a whole lot of other uh, entrepreneurs in the community and in the tech community um, that are not white males. And so it was really just um, trying to change people's mindset um, and then create an environment that was open and welcoming and letting people know that, you know, our organization um, is really created to serve all kinds of entrepreneurs, tech and, and uh, entrepreneurs of color in tech, but also other kinds of businesses. You know, I think uh, economic development organizations, a lot of time, um, you know, think tech is the only high growth industry that there is. And, and that's not true. You know, there's there's a lot of different, you know, product industry, service industry, and they can all be um, they can all be wealth creating opportunities, not just for the individual entrepreneur, but for the community and job creation and everything else. So I think we, we kind of opened our minds. Um, and so I think we're helping to open the minds of the community. Uh, and Ada, let me bring you into this conversation. Uh, tell us about how Amplify Latinx has been able to change the narrative, uh, both in Boston, but also highlight this across the country. And, you know, as a co-founder, what was your vision for starting this? Yes. Uh, thank you, David. So let me start by saying that the work is never done, right? I think Gloria and Raquel, um, they both said that. Um, study after study, both local, national, uh, demonstrate the remarkable potential and simultaneous barriers, right? So I think the the pandemic really shed light on, on these inequities and, you know, we all knew they were there, but I think the pandemic gave pause to a lot of leaders um, and, you know, in understanding the importance of inclusive representation, the importance of inclusive entrepreneurship, the importance of economic mobility, right? Um, and so part of, part of um, what really motivated us was um, this precisely negative narrative that there, you know, that there is uh, regarding Latinos. Um, there are Latinos in positions of power and impact and, and influence, uh, but these stories are not being told. So we, you know, we try to harness the power of storytelling um, by uh, amplifying uh, positive stories and by advocating uh, for for policies that you know that affect real change, because we can talk and talk and talk, but unless there are policies in place that really um, affect those uh, you know those systemic barriers that have existed for generations, um, we're we're never going to be able to to make a true impact. Um, and so you know in in doing so we you know we partner with public private 
nonprofit sector leaders and, you know, the media, everybody, right? Because it's important that, you know, that we all come together um, and that we, you know, and that we focus on shaping economic mobility initiatives um, with these allies who understand um, and are willing to champion uh, this um, equitable representation that, you know, that we need. Uh, I'd love to come back and dig a little bit more into the policy piece with you. Raquel, can you tell us a little bit about the Lightship Foundation and uh, how you are helping drive better access to capital and just change changing the narrative uh, for Black and Brown founders? Yes, this is my favorite. Um, all the programs that we do, I get excited about it. So we offer like a suite of programs for our founders. And so one of them that we offer is an accelerator. And so with that accelerator, we don't take the traditional approach like, you know, you're in a classroom, you have to learn this curriculum. Instead, we do two six-week sprints. And so one of those sprints, we attempt to partner you with a corporate partner that we have in our network. So, for example, we've recently invested in a mobile dentistry unit. And so what they do is they go across communities, underserved communities, into dental deserts, which are 600 million communities across the U.S. And so we were able to partner them up with PNG, who own Crest, Oral-B, and then also a partnership with Ford, who were able to donate vans and get those branded in those Crest and Oral-B branding. And so it's just really exciting to see them kind of be able to have these activations across the country. And so another sprint that we would do is like a branding sprint, a hiring sprint. But we really try to understand what does that business need in those 12 weeks that we spend with you? And the program is different for every founder that we touch. And with that program, we offer um, funding as well, 250000 up to a half a million dollars investment from Lightship Capital. Another program that is my favorite, which I really think this is where community is built and this is where founders are networked and learning from each other face-to-face is our Lightship Bootcamp. It's a two-day program. And so we really are just hanging out for a couple of days. We're going through artificial intelligence, customer discovery, legal fundraising. And then while you're on the ground, you get to pitch to our entire investment team. And so we want founders to feel confident about talking to any investor and being confident about asking for millions of dollars to fundraise. Because I think when we're talking about underrepresented and underserved, I think a lot of us, we haven't we haven't seen that. And giving them an opportunity to just feel comfortable going into these rooms and under, helping them understand that you belong here and you know this was meant for you. And so getting them ready for that. And then Another program that we offer virtually is called Twitch Pitch. Twitch Pitch was born out of COVID. And so we realized we weren't able to talk to founders face-to-face in bootcamp. We were kind of trying to figure out, you know, virtual programming. And so one program that came out of that was a live pitch competition on Twitch. And we have found plenty of founders that have gone through our accelerator from that program and also have gotten funding from the capital side. And we're the first um, company to ever have a live pitch competition on Twitch. So it's super exciting. But if you guys have time, like it's online on our YouTube, you can check it out anytime. But the winner of that gets $25,000 at the end of it. Um, plus just, just different networking opportunities. And then of course, last but not least, we have Black Tech Week. That is the newest program that we offer. It is in Cincinnati. Um, if you're familiar with the music festival that Cincinnati hosts, it's gonna be the week of the music festival next year. And so it's just a suite of workshops, keynotes, uh, this year, our keynote was Serena Williams, and she came in and talked about um, her venture firm and talked about, you know, everything that she's doing to help these founders. And then she announced her retirement like a couple weeks after, which was 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 crazy because we had just saw her and she was talking about, you know, how how tennis and everything that she's learned, how she uses that to make decisions into her and with her venture firm. So always really exciting things going on um, at Lightship. So. Yeah, that that uh, Serena Williams keynote generated so much buzz, and uh, it's really about you know showing that uh, by having people like Serena uh, be in venture capital, showing that it is okay and it is possible and it's normal for people like her to be in those positions of uh, of power and influence. Um, so that was really exciting uh, to be a part of. Uh, Lori, I'm going to turn it over to you. And there's something remarkable that you all do that I've heard uh, other directors talk about it in other conferences, et cetera. But this idea of kind of creating equitable leadership. Can you tell us like 
uh, because and just introduce that concept first so people know what you're yeah. talking about but then also like tell us like real life stories of where are the friction points and you know even if you have two people that look the same and talk the same from the same household there's friction when mm-hmm. you have four people that look very different and talk and and have all these different viewpoints they come from how do you address those friction points and how do you create this equitable leadership and practically make it work yeah so it is interesting. There's there's four directors at Star Garden, and we all have equal uh, leadership. Um, we, I mean, it's the four of us that make the decisions. And so I am um, the only female. We have Daryl Ross, who is African-American. We have Jorge Gonzalez, who is Latino. And we have Paul Moore, who is a white male. And he's been with Star Garden since the beginning. So he's really seen the organization um, morph, so to speak. And we all come from um, different backgrounds in the community uh, with different ties, um, and but, but all of it with economic development. And so we really felt like as an organization, if we were going to be authentic in trying to create this inclusive community that uh, for entrepreneurs, that we had to embrace that on our team and we had to embrace that with the leadership. Um, and so, You know, as we talk about the strategy for the organization, as we create programs, as we, you know, work with entrepreneurs, um, it's really interesting that the four of us definitely bring four different perspectives. Um, And, you know, uh, we, there, there has to be a lot of trust and there has to be a lot of respect because we have to be honest and open with each other and we have to explain how we feel and why we, you know, why we're coming at something in a certain way. Um, And we have to agree that we're going to work through it until we come to one uh, decision that we all agree on. And, um, you know, sometimes it's ugly. We were, you know, we were just talking last night. We were like, it could be really messy. And we were, uh, sometimes your feelings get hurt. Um, But it's not, it's not about our feelings and our ego. It's about these, you know, these are real life uh, you know, we're talking about entrepreneurs, we're talking about access to networks and access to capital and, and how do we want to change things in our community? And we all have to, you know, own up to the fact that we, we don't all approach it um, the same way or the, or the right way. And that maybe collectively, we can come up with something that is better. And that's how we approach it. Is, can you give us an example of, of, uh, of a situation where, uh, you know, there was so much friction that you're like, okay, we just got to walk away or, uh, you know, how do you resolve, uh, you know, because this is like a real life scenario, right? Like when you have people of different viewpoints, it's great. Diversity is great, but there's also a need to kind of uh, come to a consensus, you can consensus, you can move things forward. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, you know, come up with specific stories without, you know, I mean, without talking about maybe specific entrepreneurs. I mean, sometimes it's, um, I mean, even last night, so we we had a big demo day um, last night, which is hopefully I'll get to talk about that program. It's called the Star Garden 100. And so we, um, we have 100 entrepreneurs and we narrow it down to 10 people last evening who were each going to receive a $20,000 grant. So 10 people each getting 20,000 and the entrepreneurs in the room were, were, you know, it was a a beautifully diverse group of people. Um, And so our judges had to, you know, give us their recommendations. And then clearly we have our own recommendations as, you know, people that have worked with these entrepreneurs. And so, you know, we're, we're trying to look at this 10 group of 10 and figure out, you know, how do we, how do we narrow this down? And so it was a little messy and we were, you know, um, and we try to, I mean, we're, we're, we're picking them based on their idea and their executive summary and, you know, all of these criteria for entrepreneurship. But at the end of the day, we also want to make sure that our pool of entrepreneurs that we select um, represent a diverse community. So, it, it, you know. Absolutely. And the reason I asked the question is because, as we talk about diversity, we need to learn to live in this diverse uh, universe together, 
right? Like it's not just about saying we want diversity, but when there's conflict, we shy away or we say, well, there's too much conflict, so we're not going to address it. But being able to learn and adapt and say, when you bring diversity into the room, you're going to have diverse voices and diverse opinions and being able to kind of create a framework to say, ultimately, we want the best for our entrepreneurs. And therefore, you know, we're going to find out uh, a common way to, to do this. And it looks like you all have that kind of framework uh, that allows the best people to move forward. And, uh, and you have a way to, you know, have that conversation. Mm-hmm. That, that's beautiful. So, uh, Aneda, uh, let's kind of dig a little bit more into, uh, you know, why you started uh, Amplify Latinx and also uh, some examples of how you've been able to move policy forward, uh, put uh, uh, Latino uh, community into that, uh, the decision-making and into uh, the spheres of influence? Yes, of course. So so I'll start by saying that our focus is really three-pronged because our one of our uh, most active programs is the Power Up program, which is uh, focused on Latino entrepreneurs. Um, and, and that leads to leadership, right? Because it's not only you seeing yourself as a leader in the community, but also you can become a civic leader. Um, and then obviously it also ties into that, um, that uh, policy and advocacy component. And I'll revisit that when I go over, um, you know, a little bit more uh, how we approach this, right? So, so our focus has been to activate this untapped economic uh, potential, right? Um, there's a huge segment of Latino community that is entrepreneur and entrepreneurial. And uh, we're starting businesses, you know, at a much larger um, uh, space that than the typical, um, you know, uh, white households. And so the challenge is that it's not that we're not entrepreneurial. It's not that we're not starting businesses. It's that our businesses don't have those resources and don't have that access to capital and don't have those opportunities to grow and to create wealth, right? Because we know that through entrepreneurship and, and of course, um, home purchases and, um, and investments is how families achieve um, this, this wealth. And we know that the color of wealth is, is you know, in our faces and that, and that people of color have much less wealth, accumulated wealth than, uh, than um, the non um, people of color, like than white households. So, so we do, you know, our programs um, are, are, are very different and varied, but like I said earlier, we focus on telling the stories, on amplifying the impact, on connecting them to the resources, on, on the creation of a digital um, directory so that, so that people who are looking uh, for procurement opportunities uh, can find these businesses. Um, the businesses that are not procurement ready, we um, train them, we give them technical assistance so that they can become ready. Um, and, and then we, you know, we, we recognize them as influential consumer market in the, in the entire business community, right? Not just in the Latino community, uh, because, um, research demonstrates that if we do not, um, focus on, on building, uh, the potential of, of the Latino community, um, we're going to be negatively, our economy is going to be negatively impacted for at least the next three generations. And of course, anybody who cares about the American economy should care about building and, and supporting Latino uh, businesses. Um, but then not only do we host, you know, do we host these events and, and, and focus on, on, on amplifying their stories, um, we also um, curate very, um, very intentionally um, events where they can meet these people that are in positions to to support and fund and 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 make further connections for for the small businesses um now shifting gears very quickly to the you know to the um advocacy and policy piece um that has been something that is very close to our heart because we understand that um elected officials um really give more attention to communities that have political power, right? Uh, and so part of the challenge of a lot of uh, communities of color, including the black community and the Latino community is that we have not yet exerted our political muscle. And so, and so we understand that the way to do that is not only by you know, encouraging folks to run for office and to, and to uh, serve on boards, on commissions and, and to give a voice to our communities, uh, but also by pushing uh, policy initiatives that that really 
uh, creates um, a ripple effect. So for instance, um, something that we have been very intentional about, particularly, uh, we, we worked on this before the pandemic, but especially after the pandemic, because so many people are so much more aware of this, is, is these contracting opportunities, procurement opportunities. I mean, we're talking about local government, we're talking about state government, we're talking about federal governments, corporations. And so how do we get our small business owners ready to, you know, to, to be at that level? How do we impact policy so that their, their policies, their procurement policies are inclusive because maybe there are smaller businesses that don't meet the threshold, but can be subcontractors. So including that in part of their, in their policies to, to increase the potential for these businesses to, to, um, to scale. And, um, and then also making sure that if there's any policy initiative, um, you know, like some, some uh, law that is passed, that we follow it. So we make sure that it's funded, right? Because it's very nice to have the ceremony and to, and to say, oh, we passed this law and we're going to help this group and that group. But if, if a certain piece of legislation is not funded, then it basically dies right there. So how do we um, educate the people, you know, and allies and people that that believe in the work that we're doing, so that we're following the issues and we are holding our elected officials accountable, so that they understand that they also need to um, to make sure that they follow through on their promises. That that's fascinating because uh, there is a group out of uh, Kansas City uh, called the Right to Start, and it through Victor Wang, who was the vice president for entrepreneurship at the Kaufman Foundation. And his policy advocacy work, he's actually been able to move a couple of bills through houses, through legislature in, I think, both Missouri and Kansas around the procurement piece, saying that, you know, um, can we set aside a portion of uh, dollars for procurement also around uh, providing tax incentives, um, et cetera? Because when you think about uh, creating diversity and economic development, creating these very tangible goals, knowing the challenges that uh, these communities face, uh, right? That they might not have access to uh, a CPA to help file taxes. So can we give them you know, a, a way to say, in your first three years, if you're not filing taxes, that's okay, as long as you're able to start, right? Things like that, things that are more practical that are the true barriers. Uh, and then advocating uh, in procurement to say, can we, and a lot of states have this, but the challenges that we run into is that the procurement process is so hard that it might as well not have it, right? They'll, they'll say 10% goes to uh, minority businesses, but they have to fulfill the same requirements as regular businesses. And in some states that can take eight to 10 months to get through this process. Uh, and so uh, being uh, very intentional about, uh, about the design uh, around this. Can you talk a little bit more about like, so you've got this policy work, but do you also kind of help communicate these to policymakers so they understand that the policy is good, but then the practical application that sits with the bureaucrats can sometimes make it as if there is no policy at all? Yes. So, I mean, that that is actually part of the work. And so, and so my answer is two-pronged, right? So first, Yes. So what we work in coalition, none of us do this by ourselves, right? We partner with other community organizations that get this work. Um, And of course, also the, you know, the private sector and and other public sector leaders. But, but, you know, there's, there's a thing in Spanish that, you know, in la unión está la fuerza, you know, in the, in unity, there's, you know, there's power, right? We're more powerful if we're uh, together and united. And so, and so it's important that, that we're, cross-sectional as we approach these issues so that they see that it's not just this group here asking, you know, it's multiple groups, right? Now, the second prong to my answer is the actual challenge for, for nonprofit organizations to raise funds to fund positions in the policy and advocacy space. Because there are a lot of foundations that will fund leadership, that will fund economic opportunity, that will fund, you know, everything that has to do with with progress but that technical piece that really is is the core right of of making sure that we advance this policy you know is the you know the policy and advocacy piece the organizing piece the you know ensuring that you know that we have people who are knowledgeable in public policy and who understand the process and the system who has who have 
connections to elected officials who can who can you know guide a coalition to activate and to and to move the needle. Um, those positions are a little harder to fund, right? And so it's important that you know that we um, you know that the philanthropic community um, is aware of this as well because because they're the ones who are who are establishing their priorities and they're the ones who are deciding where their dollars go. So, you know, if, if philanthropic leaders um, have this awareness and understand that that there is a huge need for organizations like ours and many others to uh, to be supported in this space of you know policy and advocacy, I think it would make much more of a of a difference for all of it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, that's such a fascinating uh, conversation, uh, and I think that can be like a whole series by itself. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so Raquel, let me let me bring you into this conversation. Uh, I'm fascinated by you know I see on Twitter statistics all the time about lack of representation in venture capital and in capital in general for underrepresented entrepreneurs. And I kind of want to know from you know from Lightship Foundation and your perspective. Uh, what uh, Candice and Brian are doing, you know, what barriers are you all breaking? And do you have, you know, success stories? I'm sure you have everyday success stories, but of founders that otherwise, if you weren't doing this work, wouldn't have been uh, in this space and wouldn't have been funded or wouldn't have the ability to follow their dreams. Yeah, for sure. So our headquarters is in Cincinnati, but our second office um, is in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so if you know the story of Tulsa and the Tulsa massacre and understanding um, just as the people in the community, how far behind that community has been. And so we've been able to connect with partners like Atento Capital and Building Tulsa who are working to rebuild this community. And so one of our goals as an organization is just to bring as many entrepreneurs as we can to Tulsa so we can help rebuild some of these things. We've had um, folks who've come to our boot camps, um, who own grocery stores there, who have been able to really incorporate technology into the processes that they're using. We've had uh, quite a few founders who have just up and moved their entire team to Tulsa. And so Tulsa is doing some amazing work in terms of if you want to go there, they have a program called Tulsa Remote and they will fund up to $10,000 just for you to live there. So whether that's a down payment on a house or if that's just for rent. And so we're just trying to make these connections and provide founders with these resources so we can kind of help just put put Tulsa, just get them on a level playing field. And so that's just some of the things that we're really passionate about and being in these communities. We just saw one of our bootcamp um, participants, she just bought a house. And so those are the kind of stories that, you know, really excite us. And so we're trying to do that work in Cincinnati and Tulsa. And it's, it's like we said, there's still work to be done, but just being in those communities where we traditionally have been overlooked and, and leveling that playing field and kind of giving them an unfair advantage. And Tulsa, we give a half a billion dollar investment to all companies that go through the accelerator, which is uh, higher than our Cincinnati accelerator, because we just want to make sure that we're giving the resources to the founders that need them and also providing them opportunities and resources. Um, because we believe like funding is great, but in order for a business and an ecosystem to really succeed, we think that there's three things. There has to be community, there has to be education and there has to be funding that follows that. So building that and building all that pipeline is, is what we're super passionate about. And it's, it's been an experience really. And if, if you haven't been to Tulsa, it is, it is um, an interesting place. And I, I definitely encourage everybody to go if you ever get a chance. Yes. Yeah. We, we work with a few people there. Uh, there's a group called 36 degrees North that has a space there. That's also yeah. doing great work uh, and Oklahoma in general is uh, on fire right now just the amount of uh, state and federal dollars that's coming in to help that state um, is incredible and i like what you said about uh, there needs to be education and funding but another thing that you mentioned that i don't usually talk about and i'm going to start talking about this since you've mentioned it now is community i always said you know you need people always say you need capital but i say no no you need education and capital because that makes capital go further and kind of guarantees the success of the capital but i think uh, a good point that you bring is you need community and i think uh, the community is uh, the mentoring and people that look like you that can kind of spur you on and say you've got this right and people that you know, the idea of that it takes a village Right. Uh, I think it, it actually takes more like a community of people that that believe in you uh, to do this work. So I think that that's uh, really cool. 
Uh, so Laurie, let, let's talk about, you know, Grand Rapids and I'll tell the story. I'm only telling the story to set the stage up, uh, not making any remarks about Grand Rapids itself. But what I remember uh, is, and I had a couple of my team members come with me, was that, you know, Grand Rapids downtown is beautiful, right? But like, if you go like five miles out, you suddenly feel like you're in a second world or a third world country, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the difference is stark. And I know that you're doing really important work to kind of bring the community together through programs like, you know, the, the Start Garden 100 and others that give a, a platform for entrepreneurs to get started. Uh, tell us a little bit about that program and other programs that you have and other collaborations you have with the other chambers in the city, uh, with other partners, et cetera, to kind of level the playing field for especially uh, Black and uh, Latino founders that, you know, might not have that same access. Yeah, so we have we have a couple of programs. One of the programs is called Five by Five Night, and it, it literally is um, a pitch competition that we do monthly. Um, and it's uh, five entrepreneurs get selected. They get five minutes. They uh, get five slides. There's five judges, and they get five thousand dollars. And it can be any kind of an idea. It can be a tech idea uh, to a food idea to a product a service, and um, and we do do that monthly. Um, and we, we do take it out into the community. We do it in our space downtown a lot, but we also do make sure that we have it in locations where, um, where people might not ordinarily come downtown. So, uh, it, it just makes it more inclusive. And I think since we've been doing that, we get more and more participation from all the different communities, um, around uh, Grand Rapids and, and even in the, you know, outside of Grand Rapids, West Michigan. Um, and, and then we have another program called the Start Garden 100, which we started in 2018. And that's um, a little bit bigger of a, of a program. It takes a little bit longer. We uh, do a, a request for people to submit videos of their, um, of their business idea. We narrow it down out of all the videos to 100 people. Each one of them get $1,000, and then they get um, a couple of months to um, to work on their idea, and then they come to a demo day, which we just had last night. And at that event, all 100 entrepreneurs are there, um, and at the end of the evening, we award 10 people another 20000 which I, I spoke about before. Um, and, you know, I think what, what we've been able to build with a lot of these programs is by collaborating with a lot of the other organizations in the community. Um, these two platforms are just providing grant money to, to businesses. And, um, and yet, you know, it's, it's exciting, um, but there needs to be some preparation. So a lot of the organizations have built different types of workshops and programs and, and things to help prep entrepreneurs to get ready for for these programs. So it it has created sort of this synergy with all the different organizations. There's a great organization called Spring GR. We have um, the, you know, the different chambers. We've got other ESO groups in the community. Um, And together, you know, we kind of try to help prepare people to be part of those programs. And our, our vision as an organization is that um, providing small grants, these small seed money grants, just gets people into the top of the funnel. And then from that, you know, we kind of narrow it down. And, you know, out of 100, we come out with 10 that are really, really viable that we can continue to work with and continue to help them get follow-on funding. Um, and I think that's kind of the name of the game. We, we just did some statistics for, um, for our 10-year anniversary, and we've given out in small grants, we've given out over 10 years, you know, a little over $3 million. But the follow-on investment from those companies that we gave money to is $550 million. So, I mean, it sounds like, oh, you know, 10 years, $3 million, that's great. That's not that much. But when you consider that that was maybe a catalyst for the, the rest of that follow-on funding. Um, I think we feel like that makes a difference. Um, but we are, you know, we are now kind of thinking, okay, we need a phase three for our organization. We have the top of the funnel. We have, you know, we're helping these companies grow and scale. Um, and yet we're sort of seeing this plateau where they get to that next level. They're not quite ready for a big investor but in order to take another big step, they need another 
infusion of capital. And so we have a plan, which I can't can't announce, for our our phase three, which is really to get people to um, to the next level. And I'll just give a quick example. Um, We have a program with Meyer, which is a local, if you you don't know what Meyer is, it's it's a local um, grocery and bigger chain. It's similar to Walmart. They have all, you know, all, you know, you can go in there and buy anything in the world. Um, but Meyer specifically has a program where they want to work with entrepreneurs of color to get more, more products on the, their shelves. And um, we partnered with them to get a lot of our entrepreneurs um, into that program. Um, we have several that made it into, um, into all 253 stores. But for an entrepreneur to be retail ready for 253 stores means they've got to have that product to deliver. And so some of them needed help to, to make that inventory. I mean, the promise at the end of the day was that, you know, they were going to have this big contract with Meyer. Um, but, you know, we're, some people needed, you know, like $50,000 to get the inventory ready. And it was, it was difficult for us to help them get to that point through local lenders or CDFIs. And it, it was, you know, it's time. It's, it, they didn't have enough time. So we're kind of thinking there's, there's something we can attack. There's a way that we can help. So. That, that's amazing. I love the, the Meyer story where, you know, it allowed entrepreneurs that would not have access otherwise to retail space to be able to actually get their products on there. And that is transformational, right? Because that's a significant barrier uh, to get, you know, one retail spot costs over $20,000 or something crazy like that, to have that, uh, to be the conduit that connects. Uh, communities and brings opportunity to them. So that's fascinating. And we'll bring you back to make that big announcement to us <laughs> once you have that, that idea. Uh, so, so Aneda, I'll bring you into the conversation as well. Uh, can you share a little bit more about, you also do kind of community development and helping with uh, professional development, helping uh, Latinx uh, entrepreneurs or even um, just professionals get access to corporations and get access to these different forums, how have you seen that kind of change the narrative in the community? Yes. Uh, So in fact, that is actually our core, right? Because we started uh, focusing on leadership and we expanded uh, to, you know, to entrepreneurship and policy and all that, because we, as I said earlier, we realized how important everything is tied in together, right? And so um, I would say, uh, again, it's our success. Well, first of all, you know, Raquel, you said something really, really powerful a few minutes ago. And, you know, and when I talk about this issue, you know, I, I always, you know, I always say that, you know, we focus on solutions that are intentional, deliberate, and sustainable. And what you said completely aligns, right? Because, uh, because our intentionality is in building our communities. So, you know, that's kind of like the power of connecting the dots. And that's why our logo is, is kind of like a dot connector, because we're about making sure that we're connecting with, with leaders at the local level, you know, state, national, et cetera. Um, and, uh, and, and ensuring that, that we're finding that commonality of the interest to perhaps grow and the interest to help and support that growth. Um, and, you know, and ensuring that then they continue the work, right, moving forward. Um, we're deliberate by providing education, and you, you use uh, the the term education, right? It's important that we educate all our stakeholders, right? That we host um, convenings that that discuss uh, the the opportunity gaps, but also um, the you know the solutions, and you know, and and to also have people at the table who are respected leaders that, you know, that others might say, well, if he or she's doing it, then we should also do it, right? Um, and then uh, we visualize this, that sustainability by, by ensuring funding, right? Not only funding for the organizations that are doing the good work of, of bringing together these coalitions and making sure that, that we're supporting our, our small business community, um, and, and to highlight also our micro business community, right? Because there are a lot of uh, micro businesses that are, um, you know, 
based on what I know of this, it, less than five employees and I believe less than $250,000 in, in revenue, which is a lot of the businesses in, you know, in black and brown communities. So, so ensuring that if you are one of those micro businesses, but you are growth oriented, that you, um, that you receive the funding, that you receive the resources, that you're connected to, to all these opportunities, um, you know, to ensure that, you know, that scaling of your business. So, you know, so it's, it's just, it, it's, it's a collective effort. It's a collective effort of, of allies, of, you know, people in the community, small business leaders and micro-business leaders um, and, you know, and allies who, who understand that, you know, this is, we need to do this now, right? If we don't, if we don't act, it's only going to affect our economy uh, in a negative way. And uh, in terms of uh, your uh, corporate engagement, mm-hmm. how do you message uh, to corporations around this? Because I know that they have their own kind of, you know, uh, supplier diversity programs, but they also have their, uh, you know, their sustainability and corporate responsibility programs, et cetera. Have you found any uh, ways to uh, to bring corporations onto the to the table because they have so many resources and we typically look at government uh, as a solution for you know DNI and economic opportunity, uh, but corporations have a ton of money between you know the CRA dollars also how they can um, hire. Have you do you have any effective programs for how to engage with corporations? Uh, yes. So so our Power Up program is certainly uh, one of the most effective where we uh, partner with with corporations, with corporate leaders. Right. Because I think um, fundraising and development is very personal. So people give to people and, yeah. you know, and it's important that, you know, that we have those that we build and cultivate those relationships with with corporate leaders. And sometimes it can be as simple as, you know, so we do host the convenings and 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 make sure that we're connecting are small business leaders with, you know, with these opportunities, but also it can be as simple as simply pointing out um, that there are uh, diverse businesses that could provide certain services, right? Um, I know a lot of good actors who are actively looking for uh, for uh, procurement, you know, to provide opportunities to, you know, to businesses of color. Uh, but then also there's, you know, there's the intention, but that there's the actual, right, uh, delivery and, and, and execution of, of the policies that they have in place. And so, you know, so it's kind of like digging a little deeper um, and, and understanding how we could potentially collaborate and provide solutions to, you know, to these barriers that might be in their, in their um, policies so that, so that there's an open door for, you know, for the smaller businesses. And I, I know I, I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but uh, for example, we had an event recently um, at a venue, um, and they had zero um, catering companies that that were companies of color. And so we, in a very you know authentic and and collaborative way, uh, gave them a short list of businesses that we know are you know are ready to provide that service, and and you know suggested that they could incorporate them into their into their list, and they they welcomed it with open arms, right? Because sometimes it's about making sure that that we're making those connections. So, so you know, it can be as you know as as elaborate and sophisticated as looking at the policies, and you know, and you know, and serving as a thought partner, et cetera. But also simply saying, hey guys, you know, we have this directory here. Just tap into it, and uh, you know, you'll find yeah. your candidates. Yeah, that, that that's brilliant. So I'll see if there are any questions. If you have any questions, uh, please feel free to uh, raise your hand and I can um, uh, you know, pull you into the conversation. Uh, but uh, let's, let's keep the conversation going. We've got about 10 minutes left. Uh, I want to just ask your thoughts uh, more generally, the three of you. So Raquel, if you want to tell us, like, uh, when you look at the work that's, you know, that you're doing, have you found like any like bright spots or, or uh, kind of like takeaways that uh, that people that might be looking to either like establish a fund or, or I don't know, do you have any like programs for people that want to establish similar funds uh, for people of color or are looking to do some of the programming that you do with boot camps, et cetera? Um, you know, if you have any like uh, lessons learned or things that you've seen along the way that you're like, I want to, you know, highlight this as steps that if you do, you know, if you don't have those missteps, you could start faster. Yeah, I think in terms of programming, what we have found to be really successful is offering a diverse suite of programs. I think 
but usually every year, at least as far as I've worked here, and it's been since 2018, we have developed a new program. And so I think when it comes to programming and providing resources, you have to evaluate the market and understand what the founders need. And that changes year over year. Like as we're going into an economic downtrend, you know, we are, are implementing a, a new program next year. And so we're going to continue to do that. But I think diversifying your program and also like you have to bring diverse experiences to the table in order to kind of grow and evolve as an ecosystem. We have to provide more dollars for diverse funders. That's really important when we talk about, you know, founders getting like we want to fund founders, um, underrepresented founders and diverse founders, but we have to give diverse founders those dollars to deploy. So I think having those diverse funders and also a diverse suite of, of programs. And so we can start diversifying the experience and understand like, you know, things grow and they change. And so over time, you know, it's just like anything when you're coming up with a marketing or strategy uh, for your business for that year, we do the same thing for programming. What's working, what's not. And some things we'll keep and some things we'll get away with, we'll do away with. So I think keeping that in mind and don't be, you know, it's not about, you know, the destination, it's about the journey. And so that's going to change over time. But as long as, you know, everybody, we all have the same mission here. Like you said, we're, we're all doing it in different ways. But I think being flexible and being adaptable is, is super helpful when it comes to programming. Yeah, I, I love that point around uh, understanding your audience. And we advocate for that a lot. Like, you know, we think we know what our community needs, but it doesn't hurt to do a quick survey or do, you know, just a little pulse to understand where founders are or where your community is at. And you'll be typically surprised by little nuggets that you did not expect that can go into your programming. And we've done surveys across the country and we always bring uh, little bright spots or little learnings that our clients were not aware of. And they were like, oh, we didn't know that, for example, we finished a study in Michigan where the our client said capital is top of everybody's mind. But when we did the survey, we found that, you know, for businesses that were uh, uh, well-established, it was actually finding the right talent and getting their supply chain figured out was way more top of mind than capital. And they said, oh, we need to get this in front of our workforce development group. And we need to get this in front of our other teams uh, because we didn't expect this. We thought it was simply a small business problem and capital is always number one. Well, it's not always number one, right? Depending on, like you said, the, the different changing needs. Um, and I love that, that don't be afraid to just survey your community and, and ask them what their needs are. Uh, Laurie, over to you. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, one of the things for us, and again, you know, like you just said, David, you know, everybody kind of thinks capital is always what everybody needs to get started. And sure, that that helps. Um, and, and we do obviously believe in that because we have, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, grant programs. But I but we do that really to to stimulate ideas and to and to get people um, give people some opportunity to get some traction. and then. You know, as they move along, you know, we don't we don't have a lot of technical assistance programs. So our programs are really more about, you know, pitching your idea, getting a little bit of money to get things started. And then we feel like by collaborating with a lot of the other organizations in the community, we we, you know, network those other you know, technical assistance um, uh, opportunities and, and working together as a community to make sure that we're. You know, we're surveying what do the entrepreneurs need, what are the gaps in our community that we don't have that we, you know, then can fill instead of everybody running to, to you know, offer the same type of programs. Let's let's try to find the sweet spots in each of the organizations and um, and then focus on that and do a really good job at that um, and not confuse the entrepreneurs and, and have them you know, bouncing all over the place, that there's more of a, you know, a, a pathway that is clear to see and organizations working together um, for the good of, of the entrepreneurs. Um, but I think to, to also talk about, you know, there's capital. And then we talked again about, you know, access. Um, and it's really, it's, it's access to capital, but it's also access to networks. And I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs of color don't have the access to the networks and the connections that they need. They 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 know what they're doing in their business. You know, you know, they're they're good business people, 
They just don't have the access to the connections. Um, and so we feel pretty strongly about not just giving them connections, but also making sure that, our, that, that they're members of that community. They're not just given access to a community that they don't belong to, that they become important members of the community, whether it's, you know, the investment community or whether it's, you know, anything that can help further along a, a business. So, yep. I mean, I think we're trying to make some inroads um, and not to knock mentorship, but we feel like be funding some of these companies at the higher levels is more important than providing a mentor that a mentor isn't really always something that somebody needs. Um, it's really just, yeah. you know, it's, it's like, just, just give, put me in the right place. And I, and I, I can really do a good job. I just, yeah. I love it. And, and I love that point you made about, you know, you all have your lanes and being able to create uh, a network where the entrepreneurs easily where to go can sometimes be uh, a huge way to solve that problem. Uh, and uh, Neda, I'll give you the last word on this, you know, try and you can wrap us and bring us home uh, around, you know, what are some lessons that you've learned that, you know, we can take away uh, as other people try to do such work? Thank you. So, Lori, you said something also that, you know, it's music to my ears, right? Because uh, mentoring is is wonderful, but championing is even more powerful, right? right. And there's a big distinction um, you know, I can mentor people all I want, but if I'm not naming names when they're not in the room, if I'm not promoting their business, if I'm not doing things to support their growth, then, you know, it's kind of like not, it, it's not holistic, right? It's not, it's not, uh, uh, it doesn't come full circle, I think. Yeah. Um, and so, and to answer your question, David, um, so what we've learned is that, again, um, working in in coalition i mean we we always intended to do that but but making sure that we have very diverse voices at the table um just saying the same thing and, and collaborating with them as well with with their initiatives um and and using data to drive home the you know the message right so we conduct uh we co-sponsor research uh we co-sponsor polling and surveys um, where we focus not only on the Latino community as a whole, but also on the small business community. And then, and then we, you know, we break it down into, you know, uh, gender, into, um, you know, ethnicity. And of course, you know, we have, you know, black, brown um, communities that, you know, come into that equation so that, so that we see the, you know, the full scope of the data, but then also the breakdown, right? You know, women-owned businesses, women, you know, minority-owned women businesses, right? Minority owned business, black, Latino, et cetera. Um, and so, and so by breaking it down and, 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 and creating these scorecards that are so visual that you cannot ignore, right? That people are seeing this and they're seeing, oh my gosh, yeah, there's a gap, but then the gap is like triple when it comes to, you know, women, black women owned businesses or Latina women owned businesses. Um, then I think that's kind of like, jolts folks a bit and, 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 you know, and pushes, uh, people to, to want to, uh, to be more, uh, more active and, and, and in finding those solutions that we're proposing. And, you know, and at the end of the day, again, it's not about imposing. It's not about like saying, you know, you need to do this because that's, that doesn't work with anybody. Human nature is to resist any, any imposition. Right. So, so that's why it's so important to always approach this in a in a you know thought partnership way where we're all coming together with our issues with our problems um and we're proposing solutions but we want to hear from you and see where we can meet halfway to to achieve uh sustainable solutions for for everybody so that we may close opportunity gaps that's you know that really um at the end of the day affect all of us, right? Because um, I think one of the one of the messages that for me is the most important and one of the biggest takeaways that I would I would share is that, you know, this is not only about blacks, this is not only about Latinos, this is not only about, you know, the indigenous population or the Asian American population. This is about the uh, Americans, you know, this is about 
the entirety of the United States and how our economic growth and prosperity and innovation will be negatively impacted if we do not engage diverse communities into, you know, into the, you know, economic prosperity. Thank you uh, to Raquel and Ada and Lori for uh, joining us today and sharing, uh, you know, your lessons from your communities. This is going to be a podcast that uh, we will share and, and we will uh, also include you in on that uh, when we publish it, but this has been such an important conversation and uh, I have already, you know, got some ideas that I'm going to take back and I'm sure uh, the people that listen to this will also find it very valuable. So thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast about entrepreneurship-led economic development. Special thanks to our renowned guests for joining us. You can find show notes, more episodes, send us ideas, and subscribe to our newsletter on our website, economicimpactcatalyst.com. Breaking Down Barriers is a presentation of Economic Impact Catalyst and is edited by Lauren Bernard. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Breaking Down Barriers, available for free wherever you listen to your podcasts.